Sarah is the YA queen. What are you reading right now? Can you tell us? Share um, with us. I am uh, reading A Court of Thorns and Roses, which is like massive on TikTok, might I add. A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah, there's um, like five books. What, what so else are they called? Don't the, the, name, name the other titles. A Court of Mist and Fury, A Court of Wings and Ruin, oh, A shit. Court of Frost and Starlight, A Court of Silver Flames. <laughs> don't at me right now, okay? What? Whatever. <laughs> You know what? I it's massive on TikTok, so you know what? I was embarrassed by my book club. <laughs> Your general reading is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, it's fantasy fiction. Welcome to the Rom-Com Rewind Podcast. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Devin. And like you, I love rewatching movies over and over again. You made it here. You love romantic comedies. It's great. Let's be friends. We do as well. So this is a show where we rewatch rom-coms, break them down a bit for you, maybe take a peek behind the curtain, dig beneath the surface, and decide, does it still hold up? This week we have Date, date Night. And before we get started, if you're listening to us on Spotify, you know, throw us a follow, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, please leave reviews. They help other people find us. Tell your friends about us. I think Spotify has a little bell icon. You can get notified. Uh, so we'll be on your phone. We'll be like, hey, there's a new episode. And if you want to reach out to us, Instagram and TikTok at Romcom Rewind. We also have an email address now. And Avery, our friend Avery, already pulled through. We already have an email. Avery said, hi, Sarah and Devin. I love your podcast, and I listen to it every day. I think you should do Mamma Mia for a minute. Oh, I love Mamma Mia. I'm uh, down. Back to the uh, Amanda Seyfried thing. Yeah, love it. Wait, I think I said Amy Seyfried in my... Uh, Oh my God, yo! The spelling <laughs> mistakes in this email—I just realized. Oh, you're horrible. You should you should reply to Avery and oh, tell God. yeah, and and just mention, hey, I, said, I messed up. I said Amy, <laughs> say friend. I added an Stop. N. Stop! <laughs> I can't. Oh no! She's gonna think we're so unprofessional. I'm dying. This is why. Right so now. if you message us on Instagram. Oh my a hundred percent of the responses, like I see them, and I'm like, oh, oh like God. you know, if if Sarah needs any help re- replying, or or if somebody's chirping me, I see them. But Sarah responds uh. to ninety nine percent of those messages. So Avery, I'm responsible. Yeah, I'm responsible for those spelling errors, I guess. Please, and well, then- no, no, I, yeah. <laughs> for those spelling errors, it's you. This email is definitely me. I'm so sorry, Avery. If you want to reach out and see how horribly Devin responds to your email, yeah, send um, him an email. Romcomrewind at gmail.com. <laughs> Date Night is a 2010 romantic comedy directed by Sean Levy and written by Josh Klausner. Sean Levy has also done Night at the Museum, mm-hmm. uh, Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, cool. I loved that movie. Very recently, Stranger Things and Free Guy. Oh, wow. Okay. I, Free Guy. Free Guy is on your list. Yeah. Yes, it is. I'm really excited. I want to watch it. Because Ryan Reynolds is Yeah, in because it. Ryan Reynolds is in. And then it's a cool. Um, oh, it is a fascinating concept. It's, yeah, it's very cool. Date Night yeah. is the story of Phil and Claire Foster, played by Steve Carell and Tina Fey. The Fosters are a married couple from New Jersey. They got two kids, and they're kind of in one of those classic marriage ruts. They maybe lost a little bit of the spark in their marriage. Every night is the same. They come home, kids, dinner, bed. Every week is the same. Oh, except for Date Night. When they go to the same local restaurant and make up stories about the other couples they see around them. My favorite. Until the tipping point. Claire and Phil Foster's friends, Brad and Haley, reveal they are getting a divorce. And this kind of 
individually kicks both Claire and Phil into high gear that, hey, maybe maybe we need to do something to spice up this marriage a little bit. And I won't get into the details, but the result is multiple felonies, a police chase, break and enters, a blackmail scam involving a public <laughs> figure for their next date night. We'll get into that. What are your thoughts on the movie? My wife and I are on a date. We were hoping to get here earlier, actually get a table. You didn't quite make it, did you? We'll be standing over there. Okay, I've already forgotten about you. All right. Triple horn, party of two. Maybe we should go someplace else. I want tonight to be different. Triple horn. Us. What are you doing? We are the triple horns. Great. Excuse me, Mr. and Mrs. Triple Horn. Get up. Nah. This, so it's definitely more of a calm than a rom and we've done a few romantic um more romantic movies lately or rom-coms in general um so we wanted to kind of throw something fun in there so i think this movie's fun you know what though it's so funny because this movie i always get mixed up with game night oh for sure with jason bateman and rachel mcadams and extremely similar very similar premise um about like you know a married couple who a married couple who um just needs to spice things up a little bit and and you know in their they're they're kind of stuck in their ways in terms of like a little bit of a rut and um i always get these movies confused and for the entire week i think i was calling this movie game night and so when i went to go watch it i wrote game night and i couldn't understand why i couldn't find it and then i remembered that it was called date night but anyway it's fun this movie's fun i love steve carell and i love tina fey like i love tina fey she is so good. She needs to write a, a Mean Girls, too. Do you love them in this movie? Um, I liked them in this movie. I'll be honest. Sometimes I found them really stupid. Mm. I'm glad you brought up the <laughs> Mean Girls thing because this movie, I, I think this movie is really solid. But much like their marriage actually on screen, it just didn't have that that next level magic. It didn't have that secret sauce, I thought, that you would get if you put Tina Fey and Steve Carell on screen together. You know, the, they're two of the best comedic actors yep. of the last 10, 15 years. And I was expecting that Tina Fey style mm-hmm. Mean Girls gleam. And I was expecting that Steve Carell starring Crazy Stupid Love Charm. Mm. And I thought, you know, like those are two A-plus movies, sure. What ultimately resulted in putting these two amazing stars and comedic actors together was like, oh, th- this is a very good movie. Yeah, like it's, mediocre. It, uh, I wouldn't say mediocre, but yeah, it's it's not it's not on the same level as those two I previously mentioned, and that's what I think I was kind of hoping to see. Like when these two, when these two hit, it's it's amazing, it's yes. spectacular. Yeah, I wonder if like Tina Fey would have wrote the movie. Great question. Would it have? I mean, would it have been different? Can we talk about the cameos in this movie? Yeah, well, holy they, moly, they elevated, and at one point there is—I wouldn't call them cameos because they're not playing themselves. Oh yeah, no, that's true. They're oh my just, gosh, okay, yeah. I don't know why I keep saying that. They're just characters that Correct. are amazing actors. There's, there's two. Yeah. I think you already know who I'm talking about. I think they actually saved the movie. The pacing—I was losing energy at a certain point, and then these two people come on screen. I'm like, yeah, and then the way they're—I'm like, oh my god, I love this. Can we? Hey, I'm back in. James Franco and Mila Kunis. Oh my god, yeah, 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 definitely. 100%. I thought the, the yeah, movie yeah, yeah. was starting to drag for me a little bit at that point. Yeah. I'm like, okay, like, where are we going here? Mm-hmm. And then we get, oh, I'm not going to give away too much. No, it's no, my no. best Don't. scene, oh, okay? Yeah. I already, I, I, yeah. So, like you said, they live pretty normal lives. Two kids, real estate agent, accountant, 
you know, they, they live uh, a solid lifestyle in New Jersey. And part of this life in New Jersey is that they go on a date night, which I think is really important in, in married life. I think having setting aside a date night, as I look at Devin and I'm like, yeah, date night, date night, <laughs> um, is important. So they go on a date night every week. But is their date night working? I don't think it is. Well, no, they need to spice it up other than going to the same freaking restaurant and ordering the same exact meal. And do they ever spice it up? Uh, do they ever? Yeah. They spice it up with some different... Break and enters. Yeah. You know, <laughs> shirtless Matt, Mark oh. Wahlberg. We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. They go to the same restaurant. They order the same thing. And part of this date night that they have is that they love people watching and giving people stories, which... Hey, what's the story? Hmm. Yes, okay. He is a successful financier. And she is getting drunk enough to get through what's going to happen later. Because he likes to do weird stuff. He's going to call her by his mom's name. <laughs> Speaking my language, because I love people watching and I love giving people stories that I can't hear them hear what they're saying or anything like that. And so like, I make up a story. You know this. Uh, there is. So, so they're, they're keying in on couples. They're making up stories about them. And there happens to be a couple behind Phil. And they are, they're trying to determine if it's a first date, a third date. They're very like on top of each other. But a key thing is that the couple that they're talking about, they're sitting on the same side of the booth at the restaurant. Yeah. If you're on a date, because mm -hmm. two friends of mine actually got into an argument about this. Where do you sit on a date at a restaurant? Okay, well, if I'm on a date and it's a booth, I don't want to sit on the same side of the booth as you because I want to be able to talk to you and converse with you because it's so awkward when you're sitting on the same side because you have to like, like you're eating and you're facing no one in a booth, like you're facing no one at this point. And then you have to like look awkwardly beside you to like be like, hey, like how's you have to have a conversation to the right or the left of you. That's I could, absurd. I could not disagree with you more. Okay, no, I no, no. I think it's great to sit on the same side. What are you talking about? It's, uh, well, it, Why? It's more intimate. We're right beside each other. I oh feel like my I'm God. actually sit on a Sit on a couch together. <laughs> Go to the movie theater across, together. It's like, are we at an interview? Is this a job? Like, what? I, I want to be close to you. I want to be intimate with you. This is a date. Yeah, but you're eating food. Yeah, as long as there's space. Are you going to feed me? Or like, if it's a square table, I'd prefer like, the two corners close. Okay, yes. If it's, if it's a squared table, then yes, right. you don't necessarily have to sit across from each other, but you're not sitting beside each other. You still so have that corner. So what's the corner. difference in a booth? A massive difference. It's a massive difference. I don't see the difference. I do, and I don't know you how can you also, don't. You can also, and now, Sarah, you're talking about, you know, pretending to know people's stories. Now you're both looking out at the oh exact same people. No, you're not, because you're looking out at the booth, at the other side of the booth, which is empty. Are we talking, okay, okay, describe the booth here. The booth is like this. It's There's like no a corner, corner booth. What kind of corner? Okay, booth? so you're. Have you? How many restaurants have you been that have no, a I'm corner describing, booth? No, I'm describing. I'm describing them, like okay. the people in the restaurant. Oh, in that in that particular restaurant. Okay, yeah. yes, they did have a corner booth. It kind of worked there. <laughs> Sarah's so annoyed about that. It kind of worked there, but they're both on the same side, looking out to the rest of the restaurant. Yeah, you can definitely people watch from there. I I agree, but in I'll a, take that as a victory. A you just said no, you no, agree. No, you just no in a normal agree. booth, it doesn't work. Thank you. So part of, you know, their weekly routine is this book club. And um, I can't quite remember what book they're reading. Um, but the book club is mostly made up of women. No, it's exclusively made up it's of women. women yeah. Yes, except for Phil, which I question why he's even there. Like, why is he in their book club? Does he do that as like a favor to his wife? Like, Yeah, I'm a little confused by that as well. He does reveal later on that he actually does read the books and she 
spoiler alert, doesn't. I know. I love that. But yeah, that I would st- be me. I still don't get it. Have you ever belonged to a book club? Yeah, it's super embarrassing, though. Why have you? Okay, hold on. I have so many questions. What kind of book club was it? So <laughs> who who belonged to it? <laughs> uh, so it was my boss and a coworker, <laughs> and it was in retrospect, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> Because it was... Um, <laughs> Can't stop laughing. Do you, well, you're already laughing. I haven't even told the, um, the funny part of this joke. But like my old boss was very much like he subscribed to Success Magazine. You know, oh. he went to advertising summits. Oh my God. And so he had a book club of like self-improvement, like like uh, oh, okay. career self-improvement. No. No. So okay. we, would, we, we would read like those like not self-help, but just like the one thing to make your to skyrocket your business like break that glass ceiling yeah stupid <laughs> books like that and then and then there were a bunch of us and honestly some of the books had some nice takeaways but now in retrospect i'm like holy shit this was a pretty stupid book club uh, a little bit embarrassed by it the one thing to to change your business from bottom to top you know yeah, like I, I have never belonged to a book club um, because I don't like reading books that I don't like. Oh, one of the so, books was The Power of Moments. Oh, The Power of Moments. Yes, okay. That one actually had some not bad I actually think there's a TED Talk called The Power of Moments. Yeah, I didn't It's really it. good. I, I've been asked to join and then um, it's because everybody gets to pick a book to read. Um, the book that I would want to read is not something that probably most people wouldn't want to read. I read a lot of like um, post-apocalyptic like YA books. Um, Sarah is the YA queen. <laughs> what are you reading right now? Can you tell us? Share um, with us. I am um, reading A Court of Thorns and Roses, which is like massive on TikTok, might I add. A Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah, there's um, like five books. What, what so else are they called? Don't they, they, name, name the other titles. A Court of Mist and Fury, A Court of Wings and Ruin, oh, A Court shit. of Frost and Starlight, A Court of Silver Flames. <laughs> Don't at me right now, okay? What? Whatever. <laughs> you know what? I It's massive on TikTok, so. You know what? I was embarrassed by my book club. <laughs> Your general reading is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, it's fantasy fiction. Anyway, I don't like um, nonfiction and uh or like autobiographies or biographies like i find them so boring oh of course i know lots of people like them and i'm not like to each their own absolutely like you do you i just can't do it i've tried so many times yeah of course yeah you you can't read those other books because you need a court of frost and starlight you need prince (laughs) julius of the vampire clan or whatever i don't think there's any vampires do you know that for a fact? I mean, I'm st- I'm going to start it soon. <laughs> so at this book club, back to the story. Oh, the yeah, movie, yeah, yeah. We also meet Brad and Haley. Played by Kristen Wiig and Mark Ruffalo. Oh, my God, that was Kristen Wiig. That was Kristen Wiig. She doesn't even look like Kristen Wiig. I know, but it was her. And Mark Ruffalo, great Love side actors. Yes, oh totally. Oh, my God. Mark Ruffalo's hot in this movie. Okay, question. I want to mm-hmm. throw this out there. It's from previous episodes. Does Mark Ruffalo bro- belong in the... Is that guy actually good looking? No, he's hot. Are you sure? 100%. Yeah, I think he's hot. Romcomrewind at gmail.com, Instagram at romcomrewind. Does he belong in that category? I want to know. No, he doesn't. Can I tease really quick our uh, mailbag episode, which is coming up? Because yeah, somebody sure. messaged us saying that Andy <laughs> Samberg I know, belongs really in that category. I know I read that. I was Ooh! Really sad. Um, but I do, I do agree with her other... Um, her other takes though 100 percent. like yeah. she had great ones but andy samberg I, I just um holds a special place in my heart brad and Haley 
back to the movie at hand, <laughs> they are getting divorced. They are. And Brad talks about how, you know, I feel like we're just really, really good roommates. And a, a lot of the things that each of them individually say to, so, so Brad is talking to Phil in the other room, Mark Ruffalo and Steve Carell, they're having this conversation. Tina Fey and Kristen Wiig having the same conversation. And a lot of the themes with Brad and Haley's message, uh, marriage seem to be similar mm-hmm. to Phil and Claire's marriage. So Phil decides that he's going to take it upon himself to take her to the city. He's going to take Claire to the city, and when they get to the restaurant, because they literally didn't make a reservation before. Such a man thing to do. Mm. Oh, my God. Um, He tried. He tried calling, and he couldn't get a reservation. Yeah, Claw, you're welcome. Um, (laughs) They don't take, which is like the most pretentious thing (laughs) to say when you answer the phone at a restaurant, like thinking that they're so upscale. Mm. Like the fact that I'm picking up the phone. Yes, exactly. I'm gracing you with my presence. 100%. uh, Nick Kroll is the the main host when they arrive. Olivia Munn is also one of the hostesses. Yes, it took me a second to realize that it was yeah. Olivia Munn. And they are, they exude pretentiousness. Pretentiousness. Pretension, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, so they're they're basically told, Phil and Claire are told, listen, probably not getting a table, but maybe, maybe you can wait at the bar. Yeah, that's like a big fat no. That's a big fat no. But they do anyway, and then and then they're um, Olivia Munn's walking around trying to uh, find the triple horns, and no one is replying that they're the triple horns. And so Phil is so desperate to make sure that you know his marriage doesn't crumble under this one night that he says that they're the triple horns. He says, "Yeah, that's us. We're they, the triple horns." They take another person's reservation, and that's like an ongoing joke it throughout is. the movie. I love Everybody it. questions it, like, "Whoa, you." <laughs> You took somebody else's reservation? Yeah. Have you have you ever taken somebody else's reservation? No, but almost worse, my good friend Colin, he <laughs> drunkenly stole a bunch of people's food at McDonald's at like 2 a.m. Oh, okay. In Ottawa, there is there is a an amazingly horribly placed McDonald's. Oh. I think okay. like Per McDonald's, it has the most like fights oh, break yes, out. I, I don't know, know if that's a stat about. or not. Yep. But like, it, you know, Ottawa has like a significant downtown part or uh, bar part of their market. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the street that all the buses arrive on. And literally connecting those two areas is a McDonald's that has a pathway through it. So 2 a.m. on a Saturday night, that place is bumping. That is <laughs> crazy. It's wild. <laughs> and there's four of us. We Before we grab our bus, we're at the McDonald's. And Colin is the last to order. I grab my food, go to a table. Colin grabs his food, comes to the table, and then everybody else. And our other friend realizes, he's like, hey, I didn't get my chicken nuggets. <laughs> but wait, Colin has chicken nuggets. <laughs> We're like, hey, Colin, like, are those your chicken nuggets or are those Conrad's? And he looks at us dead in the eyes and he's like, I didn't even order anything, guys. <laughs> and he has like oh four God. burgers, a smoothie, these chicken nuggies. <laughs> and we're like, oh my God. Like we're all doing the math quickly. We're like, holy f***. <laughs> he stole like three people's food just now. <laughs> and we're all going to get into a fight over it. So oh my God. so we dipped out immediately. I still feel bad. With the if, food though, right? If you, what's that? With the food though, Oh, right? of course. Oh, we okay, kept good. the food. Okay, good. But I would say that that's equally as bad as stealing somebody's table at a restaurant. So you would agree that stealing someone else's reservation is bad? Like, do you, you you feel that that, like, on par with how everyone else in the movie is feeling? Oh, man, yeah. Like, I don't. I was going to say, I whoa. 
I don't know why. It's it doesn't bother me. Is that a joke? <laughs> no, it's not. And I'm just like I don't see the big deal about it. Sarah. Yes. I am the moral I degenerate know, of I this know, podcast. I know. You're the beacon of hope. I know. You're the well, something from those that weird books you talked about. The yeah, Starlight mm-hmm. and Freezethorn. You're you're the Frost Starlight. Yeah. <laughs> Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. So you you would take somebody's reservation. If I were in their exact situation, Holy shit. I would. I don't taken. even know you. Who are you? I I know, which is really funny because like when we go to like sporting events or like or like plays or anything like that, I am like we sit in in our seat that we are accounted for. We do not sit in someone else's seat. Like I'm like all about it. Okay, Sarah. But I yeah. When when you're at an airport and they call up rows <laughs> oh one my God, through I can't. thirteen, we've talked about this on the pod. And more than those rows get in line. Sarah gets annoyed. You get annoyed with those people. Everybody's getting on the on the plane eventually, Sarah. Yeah. Why does everyone have to stand there and wait in line? Like, what is the purpose of you extra standing? So you don't like that, but you would steal somebody's reservation. Yeah, I would. I don't know why. I just don't see it as a problem, especially if like in their exact predicament, they had been called like what, eight times? No one put their hand up. Yeah, I would say I'm the triple horns. Sign me up. Let's go and eat some claw. So they end up, you know, actually taking that table. (laughs) They are enjoying an amazing meal. Will I am is nearby. (laughs) Which is so random. They take like a, a little candid picture of him, which is super weird. A little inappropriate. So these two guys roll up. The actors are Common and Jimmy Simpson, but they are Detectives Armstrong and Detective Collins. But but hold on. We don't know that they are in law enforcement at the time. They're just... Thugs. They're just very interested in finding the triple horns. And it's funny. When, when they come up to the table, Phil and Claire are like, oh, joke's over. The staff <laughs> caught us. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave. Whatever. So stupid. These two guys bring them to a back alley. And start demanding, like, where's the where's the flash drive? And they're pointing a gun at them. Yeah. All of a sudden, Phil and Claire are like, holy shit. Like, okay, we're, we're not the triple horns. We are not in Kansas anymore. We're not in Kansas anymore. But clearly, the triple horns are into some bad stuff because we stole their table. And now some mobsters are pointing a gun at us looking for a flash drive. Yeah. The night has taken a turn for the worse. Has it ever? Um, the two guys say, "Where's the drive?" Of course, they flip the the gun to the side and Phil it's freaks a kill out. Shot. It's a kill shot. Um, so he says, "We have the drive." Takes them to Central Park, which is probably one of the worst places to go. There's literally no one around. They go to the boathouse, and then they escape. They do escape from the two guys in the world's slowest motorboat. Um, then they go to the cops, and the cops. It's it's another. Um, great side character. Yeah, we have Taraji P. Henson um, as like the main detective. I didn't catch she's, her name. She's the good detective. She's the good detective. Uh, Bill Burr is also another detective. Although I find this casting really strange because you have Bill Burr, who's an amazing comedian. He might say like three lines total in this movie. And aside from that, he's just giving like glaring looks at people like he's just perpetually annoyed maybe this is like a movie that he was trying to like break out into like acting you're right i want to start acting like well we got this detective thing where you just glare at glare people. at people yeah bill burr's like yeah i'm a comedian but i guess i could do that he's like I bill glare. he's like bill Hader's character in forgetting sarah marshall oh my like, god why are you there aside from just being dour and angry <laughs> you know 
But, um, yeah, so Phil and Claire explain to Taraji P. Henson's character, you know, listen, these guys were after us. They were pointing a gun at us. Um, there was something about a Maletto character. And she gets very interested, like, whoa, mm-hmm. Maletto? Are we talking about Maletto right now? And then those two guys show up at the police station. Turns out they're cops. They are Detective Collins. That's common. And Jimmy Jim- Jimmy Simpson is Detective Armstrong. So all of a sudden, the Fosters are figuring out, whoa, these guys are dirty cops. Yes, they are. So Phil and Claire, they sneak out the back, but not before the dirty cops see them. Phil and Claire head to Times Square because they want to make sure that they're going to a place where there's tons of people. And they start talking about the shared, uh, the flash drive. And I mean, at this point, like I said, who doesn't know what a flash drive is? Sorry, it's 2010. <laughs> um, but to get back into the restaurant, they need to f- they need to find who these triple horns are. So they pretend to be people who are with Will I Am, and they, and like they actually, I thought they did a really good job. He says we're with Sam I Am. Well, not the fact that, that he got like, got the name wrong. Like that is not a good part. But like the way like they walked in and they were like too cool for school. I'd like to check the table for the phone if you don't mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? Look at me. Can, oh God. Uh, Do you, we need to check the table problem? for the phone. Fine. This way. Wow. I just wasted half my life. This is like a better job than what you are doing currently trying to pretend to be the triple horns. Yeah. Yeah. And just in terms of acting performances, like this is one of the few spots where I thought Tina Fey and Steve Carell were very funny in like the delivery of their lines. Yeah. And I wonder if it was improvised. Yeah. It might have been. Like, I anyway, I wonder that. But yeah. So they find the phone number and... Claire happens to know a guy who can help with that phone number. Yes. And so they go into the, this, it, it, like, they kind of go on a goose chase a little bit. So Claire and Phil go, they break into a real estate office to find the name of a guy who Claire was helping show houses in New Jersey and ended up buying a house in New York mm-hmm. from this real estate office. And they find the number, they find the address, they're going to head there now. The whole Holbrook Grant storyline mm-hmm. is actually my best scene. I know I said it was somebody else earlier, but I'm looking through my notes. Holbrook Grant. Holbrook Grant is Mark Wahlberg. So they arrive. Shirtless. The, so they arrive at this apartment. Mark Wahlberg opens the door, shirtless. Immediately, Claire is fawning over him. Claire Foster. Holbrook Grant. Wow. It's crazy seeing you again. All of a sudden, I'm like flashing back to all those empty houses we saw. (laughs) We did look at a lot. Holbrook Grant is kind of this James Bond-style character. He does stuff for we don't really know exactly who, but they go in this other room, and he has all these wild monitors. He's like GPS tracking where the phone number might have come from. All this amazing stuff. Gal Gadot is also in this as Natiana. Yes, yeah, yeah. And there's this thing of like, oh, honey, are we... Are we having sex with these two as well? <laughs> Clearly, Mark Wahlberg and Gal Gadot have been having a night. But I just thought, I, I think it's funny, and maybe this is very reductive. I find it funny when actors play very stereotypical archetypes of characters they already do. Like, that is basically making a joke like, hey, Mark Wahlberg does a lot of action movies. He's shirtless a lot. Let's yeah. just make him a James Bond who's shirtless. They could you have know? put Mar- uh, Matthew McConaughey in that movie. 100%. That would have been hilarious. Yeah. Or if, or if, um, you know, they had Vin Diesel in this movie and he's a guy who just likes cars. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. hey, like, 100%. what's your deal? Like, I don't know, man. I like family and cars. <laughs> you know? like it, I like just family and cars. Poking fun at the most obvious roles that this guy does over and over again, I think is so funny. I also... 
I just love that he's like, just be shirtless for 15 minutes and have Tina Fey fawn over you. And that's that's the crux of his character. And I love it. It's so funny. I actually liked his character in this movie. I love I, his I character. Liked, I liked Mark Wahlberg in this. Because I don't always like him in every in every movie he plays. Yeah. But I did like him in this movie. Uh, Holbrook Grant does put them on the right trajectory. Yes. We know where the actual triple horn phone number came from. Yeah, they triangulate the signal. <clears throat> Somehow. Yes. Yeah. Into an apartment building. Um, and so just as they do that, though, the uh, the dirty cops show up to Holbrook's um, establishment. And because so they broke into that real estate office. The police find video surveillance of the Fosters breaking into the real estate office and they track it to. Oh, they looked up the address of a Holbrook grant. So the dirty cops are there. Yes, and so they're knocking, and Claire and Phil get away in one of his very expensive cars out out back. So they get to the apartment building where the cell phone signal is coming from. It's under the name Felton. They try to climb the side of the building, and honestly, like, why not just ring every single apartment in the apartment building, and then somebody's going to answer, and then just pretend to be somebody else, and then let you in. That would be your strategy? It wouldn't be your strategy. It would be my strategy, 100%. I've seen it in so many things that that's what mine would be it's probably like it's probably late at this point right like midnight maybe it's still exactly somebody would like somebody would like oh what and press it you wouldn't just go up the fire escape no i wouldn't would you that would that's what you would yeah 100 percent. i'm breaking into somebody's house i'm not ringing everybody else's doorbell before i come up and knock on the front yeah but do you know that they were gonna break in maybe they would have knocked and asked no you're not knocking you're breaking into the you're breaking into the triple horns to steal a flash drive. You're not knocking. Oh, see, I thought they were going to just like knock and like talk to them because they literally rung the apartment and they weren't there. So they obviously were going to try to talk to them. So I, I've been curious after watching this movie, do you think you could survive a night like this? And that answer <laughs> oh to that question, Stop Sarah, it. means that no. Yes, you I would could. Not. You're absolutely, you're breaking in. A hundred percent you're breaking into their place. You're well, stealing the flash drive. They didn't drive, really break out. in because their window was open. Yeah. Okay, well, no, that's still breaking they in. Def- <laughs> <laughs> a lawyer would say, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. just because the door's unlocked, you're still breaking and entering, okay? They should really lock that window. Yeah, they should. <laughs> You're right. They should. That's a fair point. Oh, I'm crying. I'm laughing so hard. Oh, my God. Okay, so whatever. They climb the fire escape into the, the side of the building. And they walk in. It looks like nobody's home. But, in fact, they are home. This is my best scene. Oh, it is your best scene. It Good. is my best Good scene. Job. Yeah. Um. So it's James Franco and Mila Kunis in in um Taste and Whip It. Taste and Whippet. That, those oh, are their names. names in this movie. Yeah, that's right. Um, they're the Feltons. They're the Feltons, yes. Slash Triple Horns. Slash their alias Triple Horns, because I don't know. He says he there's something to do with something that he likes that's called Triple Horn. Yeah. And I think this is a great pick for your best scene, because the movie, the the pacing had kind of slowed down a little bit. We've, like you said, gone on a little bit of a goose chase. But then finally, we're going to meet the Triple Horns. And the characters of Taste and Whippet, James Franco and Mila Kunis, they are, they're apex energy. They are, <laughs> he has a tattoo of her face yes. on his chest. Yes, Before yes. they leave, he pounds it. 
like, this is us. You know, this is it, home. This is home. Yeah, it was like the, the movie had kind of just it was fa- the energy was falling off a little bit, and then yeah. boom, we got James Franco being ridiculous. We got Mila Kunis being crazy. I love it, and I'm here for it. So the Fosters are asking the Triple Horns, "Hey, Maletto's after you guys. He thinks we're you because we stole your reservation." And they once again were like, "You, you just took our reservation." Who does that? Yeah, what kind of people are you? Who cares? Oh it doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. Who does that? Wait, wait, wait. How did you find us anyway? I know. I know. I really didn't understand this. How did you? You're you're a monster if you didn't understand it. That was <laughs> well, a running no, joke did. through the movie. No, no, no. I got it. But I just, like, every time it was brought up, I was like, yeah, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it is a big move deal, on. Sarah. That's why, that's why nobody wants to move on. And once they realize, like, oh, wait, like, Maletto's coming after you for this flash drive? Like, Dude, we gotta we gotta get out of here. They have their go bags. They they jump into action. Whip it and taste. They they re- leave through the fire escape, and um and they dip. But the Fosters now have the flash. Sometimes throughout this movie, they're just so st- so stupid. <laughs> I'm just like, come on, guys. They're like, very catch stupid. Up. They're and- very naive. They're very naive, which they would be, right? They live a very like you know regular life in New Jersey. And I also like this scene because. James Franco and Mila Kunis, when, you know, the Fosters sit them down and are pointing the gun at them, they kind of bicker about their relationship a little bit. I have no trust that I can pull things through. Yeah! I can't do anything right. I buy the wrong soda, the wrong beer. I hear you, man. The wrong nipple clamps. Well... Those clamps hurt me! You know, and then you come home and you don't even look at me. They, like, beg you to have sex with me like it's a gift. And forget about the anal. Forget about the anal. It's forgotten. I am sorry if I am a little tired after working all night to just come home and jump on you and give you a free lap dance. Maybe James Franco and Mila Kunis, their love life is very similar to Steve Carell and Tina Fey, the Fosters. But as soon as calamity strikes it, babe, we gotta go, they're a team. They're on the same page. They know exactly what each other are doing. And it was kind of this, like, duality of you know the fosters are trying to figure this night out everything's going wrong and when whip it (laughs) and taste (laughs) are faced with the same thing they know exactly what to do there's no fear they're on the same page and then it proceeds so they leave so taste and and whip it are gone and claire and phil leave the building i don't know how they leave the building i'd like to know if they left the same way they came or if they went down the stairs but anyway (laughs) then it happens into a car chase Yes, the car chase was kind of stupid. The car chase, I literally have the car chase. This scene is so unrealistic. LOL. The end of this story, though, is that they end up getting away from the cops, but the flash drive is lost. Into the water, in the the river. Yes, yes. So they're on the subway home, and he says, oh, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, we don't have any info. It's at the bottom of the river. And she she wants to know the whole story. I do this to you. Women want to know the how the conversation went, every detail of the conversation. Women like details. I know I do this to you all the time, and I think it does drive you nuts, but you you do usually like try to give me, but I always want more, you know, like tell me exactly how the conversation went. Um, yeah. it, to be fair, in this scenario, I think she wasn't all that wrong because exactly, she's like- Exactly, exactly. Be, because before the flash drive went into the river, Phil did see what was on it. Yes. And what was on it was incriminating blackmail about 
the district attorney, Frank Crenshaw. Yes, and he doesn't think it's important anymore, which obviously it's important, dude. Like, those are blackmailing photos. The fact that you didn't think that those were blackmailing, you literally had a reaction in the cab saying, oh my God, is that the, dist- is that the district attorney? Like, yeah, dude. So, like, why not tell your wife that? Like, what? So they do hatch a plan. So they go back to Holbrook for help. And Holbrook is like reluctant to help them at first. But then we see them go into the apartment to talk to him. We don't know what the plan is. But they go to the hippo club to see the district attorney because that's where he hangs out based on the pictures from the flash drive. And I think Whippet was also a dancer there, right? Was that yes, the connection? And that's, that's how, how they she got the, the photos. The photos. Yes. Claire dresses up as a dancer to try to kind of infiltrate the, the the club. The district attorney's interested in both of them in his VIP suite with all these other dancers. If, if we have best scene, can we also have cringiest scene? This was so yes. cringy, <laughs> uncomfortable, and I think unnecessary. So they're in this yeah. VIP room. They got Crenshaw. He's right there. Played by a great actor, too, by the way. That's um, William Fickner. And he <laughs> he's obviously on a lot of drugs. And he's like, I want, I want those two to dance. <laughs> I got a question. What, what is their, what is their objective here? I, to blackmail him, I think. So all they need to say is, hey, we, yes. we know about the whatever. Yeah. So then, why? I don't. You can know. yell that from across a room. 100%. He's like, I want you guys to dance before you come over to me. Yes. And they do this extremely uncomfortable dance. So yeah. Side note: It was all improvised. Of course it was. That dance. That it was dance hot garbage, was com- that dance. That dance was completely improvised. If that was choreographed, I'd be amazed. Yeah, I know. That's a good point. That's <laughs> like, really, that it, was yeah, bad. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, so they, they end up blackmailing him after this very cringy dance. They do say, you know what, we have something that you want. He's like, what do I want? He's like, the flash drive with pictures of you incriminating photos. And, you know, if you don't do what we want, we're going to release the flash drive. Something like that. So they go to the roof. Of this establishment. Yes, because the bad cops have caught them at this point. Yeah, the bad cops have caught them. Once they're up on the roof, though, um, Maletto shows up. It's funny. I guess Crenshaw knew about the flash drive, but he was not aware that there was uh, photos of Crenshaw with people. He thought it was like other stuff that would incriminate him. So, you know, we have the Fosters here. We've got Maletto, we have Crenshaw, and kind of everybody's arguing amongst themselves. Everybody isn't against the Fosters, but they're kind of against each other. Yeah. And then we have this really, this was the only really cheesy moment of the movie where Phil is looking at Claire. He's like, trust me. Oh my God, I know. Because there is a theme in this movie that he always, everything he plans goes to shit. Absolutely. So finally she trusts him. She calms everybody down with her mom voice, which once again, kind of cheesy. And at the perfect moment, the police arrive. Yeah, that was a cool part, though. I have to say, like when the when when the uh, helicopter came up, I was like, "Yeah." Oh, really? I I, no? I thought it was kind of cool. You're just saying that for me. That's so, okay, though. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, am. I thought it was kind of stupid. But Phil had told Holbrook, "Call the police and tell them to go to such and such a place." Mm-hmm. Phil obviously doesn't have the flash drive, but he did. Uh, mic himself up. He was uh, he was wearing a wire, as they say. So he, <laughs> although did not have the flash drive, he caught all that incriminating evidence from Crenshaw and Maletto. Yeah, so they got them both. The Fosters are absolved. You know, the police are going to have the evidence on everybody else. All is good in the world again. And I think their marriage has spiced up a little bit. And it's like, man, a good movie, a lot of funny parts, 
and I'm still happy with the ending. The way we got there, though, I think those two just didn't have the magic. The magic, honestly, was with the Taraji P. Hensons and mm-hmm. was with the with the James Francos and the Mila Kunises and the Nick Krolls. I thought all those extra people, common added more to the movie than Steve Carell and Tina Fey themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, like I think the writing for their characters could have been a little bit more edgy and funnier, right? Yeah, and it's kind of tough when you walk into a movie and it's like, okay, your character is bland. and your marriage to be bland, right? Yeah, your marriage kind of sucks a little bit. And you're like, okay, how how do I give this character life when the the point of this character is to literally be kind of shitty with their lives? Mm Mm-hmm. Overall, though, good movie. Okay, so I want to play a game with you. So this movie features six Oscar nominees. Yeah. As well as one Oscar winner. Okay. Steve Carell is for sure nominated for something. Foxcatcher, maybe. Tina Fey is probably nominated. Taraji P. Henson nominated. Yeah. Hidden Figures, maybe. Throwing it out there. Okay. Nick Kroll wouldn't. Olivia Munn, probably not. Shoot. Oh, William Fickner, maybe? Mark Ruffalo. Oh, I think James Franco was nominated, wasn't he? It's either James Franco or, or Kristen Wiig for the last one. I'm going to say James Franco. Those are my guesses. Okay, so great guesses. So Steve Carell was nominated at, for Foxcatcher. Nailed you were it. Correct. Mark Wahlberg nominated for two Academy Awards, The Departed and The Fighter. Oh, The Departed was an amazing movie. Yes. Yeah, feel it. Um, Traji uh, was nominated for... Hidden the, Figures? No, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Oh my God, she was in that? Right. Kristen Wiig was nominated for Bridesmaids. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mark Ruffalo nominated three times. Foxcatcher, Spotlight, and The Kids Are All Right. The Kids Are All Right. Good movie. We should do that one, actually. Yeah. And James Franco was nominated for 127 Hours. Okay. And. Yes, I could have guessed that. Yeah. So listen to this. The one Oscar winner out of all of those actors is Common. Oh, he has won an Oscar what? for the best original song in 2015 for the song Glory. Oh, my God. Did I see that coming? No. No, I did not see it. coming. Not either. at all. So Tina Fey has not been nominated. Tina Fey has not been nominated for one. No. Wow. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was a miss. Okay. Yeah. Quick facts. Mark Wahlberg is shirtless in all of his scenes. His scenes were carefully filmed at specific angles to avoid showing a tattoo of Bob Marley that he has on his right shoulder. Oh my God, really? Even though he was shirtless the whole movie, there is a dedicated wardrobe assistant for Mark Wahlberg listed in the end credits. So you're saying during this movie, he's shirtless the entire time, but we never see the back of his right shoulder. Correct. Fascinating. Gal Gadot's character in the movie is named Natanya. It is the name of an Israeli city and not a common Israeli female name. The name of the gentleman's club where the Fosters go to meet the district attorney is called the Peppermint Hippo. This name is based off of a famous chain of gentlemen's clubs called the Spearmint Rhino. The exterior of the gentleman's club is the same building used for Patty's Pub in the TV show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> The erotic dance between Steve Carell and Tina Fey was improvised, but to make them feel awkward in character, director Sean Levy shouted obscure phrases to them while behind the camera. There is a scene where Claire Foster is getting ready for bed, and she is shown wearing a University of Virginia t-shirt. Tina Fey graduated from there in 1992. 
As Taste, played by James Franco, and Whippet, played by Mila Kunis, are leaving their apartment, Taste says, don't let yourself get attached to anything you are not willing to walk out on in 30 seconds flat. This is a reference to a quote from the movie Heat in 1995. William Fitchner, District Attorney Frank Crenshaw, was in that movie Heat. Oh, cool. Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig would go on to star in the movie Wonder Woman 1984 in 2020, almost a decade later after this movie's release. James Franco and Mila Kunis appeared in Oz the Great and Powerful in 2013. Mark Wahlberg and Mila Kunis have both appeared in Ted in 2012. Steve Carell and Mark Ruffalo appeared in Foxcatcher in 2014. Both actors received Oscar nominations for their roles in that movie. When Phil and Claire sit down at the table reserved by the Triple Horns, they start to toast with empty glasses, but Claire asks whether this is bad luck or not. Phil says he doesn't think that's actually a thing. He's actually right. The superstition is that if you toast with a glasses of water, you'll drown. The folklore has it that it's actually better to toast with empty glasses than to toast with glasses of water. Phil and Claire have the exact first names as the Dumfies from Modern Family. Common played another corrupt cop in Street Kings in 2008. Honorable mentions. So I think, you know, there are a lot of random stars in this movie. One of them, like, I, I can't just say all of them, right? Are you going to say all of them? No, I'm not going to say all of them, actually. You can say all of them. No. Oh, okay. I think they're all great, mm -hmm. but I don't think you can honorably mention every single one of them. You got to mention one, and it's it's James Franco, but it's him being counterpart to Mila Kunis. Oh, okay. I like that. I think the fact, like, he's just the perfect guy to be, okay, who is this seedy low-level criminal who's <laughs> dating a stripper who grabs him a flash drive like if you just describe his character i'm like oh that's a dream that's a james franco character <laughs> right there it's either shia Sounds labeouf like pineapple express yeah it's either shia labeouf or james franco who needs to play this guy and like i said i i think this honorable mention is weighted by the fact that the movie was slowing down for me personally mm. a little bit at this point so yeah i, I would like to honorably mention James Franco. Okay. Uh, my honorable mention is Holbrook, Mark Wahlberg. Mm, because, yeah. like, they wouldn't have been able to do anything, anything without him. Yeah, the movie basically stops without him. There's uh, no plot. Yeah. Yes, they would have been captured and killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what should have been? been? We should have gotten... Oh, my God. I'm obsessed with them. We should have gotten a low-key spinoff. Oh, my God. Yes. With... Whip it and taste. With whip Hell it and taste. Hell yes. 100%. Oh my God. A complete opposite movie from like the, the married couple in a rut to the married couple not in a rut but low-key criminals. Love it. Like give me a prequel even. Oh my How God, did they? Yes. And, but like. <gasps> so good. The thing is Date Night was not a huge success. It was a pretty good success. It made a lot of money. But, like, it's not well-known enough to be like, oh, like, if we do a prequel to The Notebook, everybody's going to know what we're talking about. If we say we're doing a prequel to Date Night, people are like, oh. Yeah, yeah. What, what is a good that point. again? But still, it could be fun, though. Oh, my God. I think they would be so fun together. It could literally be called T Taste and Whip It. <laughs> Taste and Whip It. It's perfect. Right? The title's already there. Don't even call it anything else. Love it. Before we get into rewatchability, there's one last thing I want to talk about. Is Steve Carell the worst pigeonholed actor just because he's been cast now in two romantic comedies where he's the husband in a failing marriage. Or I know this one isn't quite failing. I was going to say, 
I don't think this this is failing. I think they think that it's failing because their friends are getting a divorce because they're good roommates. But like, uh, if you take marriage first, takes work, you know. Yeah, if you take the first ten minutes, I'm referencing Crazy Stupid Love, of course. If you take the first ten minutes of that movie and the first ten minutes of this movie, extremely similar premises, and it's just Steve Carell can't find love or can't hold down a marriage, maybe. It's kind of like how Dwayne Johnson is perpetually just like the guy oh in the my action God, movie. I can't. I can't. I is can't there a worse pigeonholed actor? Okay, so I have I have a female version of it, I think. Yeah. Side character in a lot of movies, and we've talked about it, like Catherine Hahn. Like she was in Moms with Mila Kunis, actually, and then Moms 2, and then I think Moms Christmas or something like that. But she ends up playing like very similar side characters. Like she's always the best friend. She's always like there. Like, um, what what did she play? Did she was she in, uh, or like Judy Greer? The I was about literally to say the best the friend. The person you're describing right now, oh I understand Catherine Hahn. She she also is that. Yeah, you just described Judy I know. Greer though. She is the she classic is. best friend in every single romantic comedy. I love it. Yeah. The only other person who's worse, I think, is uh, Sean Bean. Sean Bean. He's he's the guy who dies in everything. He's Ned Stark in oh um, my God. Game of Thrones. Yes. He is Boromir in Lord <laughs> of the Rings. He is. He, th- there, there used to be a website that was please stop killing Sean Bean. No. Because he has died on screen 25 times. <gasps> That's a stat. That's real. Oh my God. Poor guy. Poor guy. We just love watching he's him per- die. He's perfected death. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> Rewatchability. Rewatchability. So my rewatchability is chemistry. This even feels high because I don't think their chemistry was good. 3.1 storyline, 3.1 thirst factor, 3 imagination, 4.4 soundtrack, 3 cheese, 2.5 for an overall score of 3.18 out of 5. Okay. So my rewatchability is as follows. Chemistry, 3.5. Storyline, 3.1. There's Factor 3, Imagination 3, Soundtrack 3, Cheese 2.75 for an overall score of 3.05 out of 5. 3.05? Yeah. Wow. I know. Okay, Thirst Factor. You gave it a 3, I gave it a 3. Yeah. Like, one and a half of that is just Mark Wahlberg. Um, One of it, okay, so interestingly enough, um, it's uh, a a trifecta. It's uh, James Franco, Mila Kunis, and... Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, the main stars of this movie don't contribute to the thirst factor of the movie. Uh, yeah, not in this case, no. This has been the Rom-Com Rewind Up Date Nights. Um, like we said, we now have email. Rom-Com Rewind at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Instagram and TikTok at Rom-Com Rewind. Next up, we'll have a mailbag episode. Thanks for listening.